Hey everybody, it's Nick here from Grayscale Gorilla, and welcome to another Grayscale Gorilla podcast. Today's episode is all about answering your questions about Cinema 4D lighting. And today we talk about what inspires us and how to be inspired by your favorite films when it comes to lighting. We also talk about how to light large 3D scenes and not just tabletop scenes. We also give you some tips on how to pick the right HDRI and the right lighting for your specific scene. And of course, if you're a Cinema 4D artist and you wanna save time and help make your next render even more beautiful, definitely check out Grayscale Gorilla Plus where you get instant access to all the tools we create here at Grayscale Gorilla for your next project. All right, with that, let's head on into today's episode. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another Grayscale Gorilla live show. Uh, welcome, Chad Ashley. How are you? Doing good. Fully caffeinated. Good. You got the hoodie memo. I'm glad we're uh, matchy-matchy today, yep. uh, as my nephew would say. Standard um, issue. Yeah, standard. Standard. How? Uh, hi, live show. Hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here today. Uh, we're going to be talking about lighting. We're going to be talking about HDRIs. We're going to be talking about how to make beautiful lighting in uh cinema 4d and uh we got we got the guy that taught me how to light in cinema 4d here which is pretty fun as well thank you guys good to see you love seeing you all in the chat alan uh fernet fernita oh my goodness windy how are you walter sean hey sean good to see you peter true tuber i like that one leo What's up, everybody? Uh, let me know where you're from and do us a favor. We just started the show. It helps us out. It helps YouTube know that there's people here. If you hit the like thing, the little thumbs up, that uh, gives YouTube a little jolt and says, yo, they're live, and it'll invite some more people in here so we can get some more questions. So we would appreciate that if you could give us a little thummy thumb. And uh, Xander, what's up? Mohammed from Egypt. That's amazing. Australia's here. Fernanda, thank you. That's amazing. Facebook's here too. Wow, look at that. Libya, Yo. Scotland. <laughs> we see you, Facebook. We know there's not as many uh, comments over there on Facebook, but we see you. Uh, Jacob, John, hope everyone's uh, week is going well. What day is it? Well, we've got Wednesday. Happy hump day, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're working on something fun, uh, something creative this, this week. And uh, man, we have had quite the week as well. Um, we uh, we had a, a, a quite a Quite a big addition to Grayscale Gorilla Plus that we'll we'll probably be showing you and talking about later. Um, but man, what a week! A uh, lot going on. And thank you. Oh my goodness! Look at all of you here. Oh my god, this is crazy! All over the world. It was amazing. Dean, thank you. Hey, Dean's got a good idea. I want to do this. It might not be the show, Chad, but Dean has a scene file. He really needs help lighting. And I've always like. Again, we, we need to get the tech together to, to pull this off. But I think it'd be fun one day to have people send in their files. Like, it's okay. It's all done. It's all animated. It's all ready to go. But dang it, I can't get the lighting good. And man, I can't think of many more people than you that would be really good at starting to just not only show people how to make it look good, but also describe the process. And since we don't That's have sweet. that tech right now, what would you um, what would you tell Dean right now? Like what, what I would say, um, uh, man, there's a lot of different things you can do. So, uh, lighting is really kind of tricky, but it's also very simple and it's really easy to get in over your head and just thinking like, let me add more lights. Let me add more lights. And my, um, whole philosophy on lighting is as few lights as possible, like as absolutely few lights as possible because, uh, it can get overwhelming. And um, if you're doing a complicated shot, then uh, it's a good idea to try to like use as few lights as possible just for your own sanity. But um, yeah, I try to use as few lights as possible. But honestly, it's like all starts with good reference and good reference and understanding how lighting actually works in the real world. Because let's face it, a lot of our renderers right now are basically like the real world happening in the render engine. So um, <laughs> right. it, it really is like using the same techniques and the same thought process that you would if you had lights in your studio at your office or 
out in the world and just thinking about it that way. The other thing that I do as well is I, I study lighting. I study it. I watch films and I just like absorb how they're getting to what, what the look they're, they're after. And when I was directing live action, I always sort of secretly wished I was a gaffer because I, I was always watching what they were doing and seeing the tricks that they would pull. And I, I would just bring a lot of those same little hacks and tricks into, into 3D. That's amazing. Uh, you, you were, I've told this story many times. I'll, I'll share the early version or the light version of it, which is you were the first one that really let me know, like just recreate the real world of lighting in 3d and, and you're more than halfway there. Um, and you pointed out, Hey Nick, you, um, are a, uh, a photographer, you know, studio lights, you know, all this stuff, bring that to your lighting and, and, It'll be better. And that's actually what kicked off like get pro at what it's what kicked off all this stuff. So thank you everybody uh, for joining us today. We're going to answer questions uh, about lighting, about HDRI um, and talk about the art of lighting. Um, I was going into this story a little bit uh, already, but when, when I discovered, well, let me just share a quick story. I was working in and learning Cinema 4D. I was already familiar with After Effects and using 3D stuff there. I was familiar with photography and lighting. And I opened up Cinema 4D like many people, I think, open up Cinema 4D, which is here's all the facets to make 3D objects. And how does how do the deformers move stuff around? And how how does MoGraph let me animate all this stuff? And I would learn all these things, but then I'd get to the end. And if you just hit render, there's like a default light in the scene that looks like crap, you know? Um, and that's never good. Or if you're working in a third-party render, there's not even a default light. It's black void when you hit render. <laughs> so I did what you did back 10 years ago, which is grab a point light and you add a point light to a scene and you're like, you hit render and it still looks like crap. <laughs> it still looks bad. And uh, it, it wasn't until, uh, you know, talking with Chad and learning more about this stuff that he introduced me to two major concepts, and I'm sure we'll be talking more about it today. One is using real lights. What do real lights have that fake 3D lights don't have? Well, they have fall off in the shadows. That's realistic. They're not point sources. Real lights have uh, a shape to them. So bring a light into 3D that has a shape to it, whether that's a rectangle or a square or a window shape. Bring shape into it. Real lights in the real world have color, uh, even slight differences in um, temperature and color balance can help make a, 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 a photo look more real. And um, we, we talked about fall off and all of that stuff described uh, how to make better 3D lighting in general. So again, that's where Like It Pro came from. There were the default lights were so uh, not set up in a way that looked realistic that I wanted to build default or a plugin that built lights for you as an artist that lets you light with real lights. Well, Chad, that wasn't enough for Chad. He also had to come show me HDRIs. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, this was here the whole time? You mean I'm where? What? You, I built all these lights, all these soft boxes and learned espresso and, and you could just go out with like a dome and capture this stuff. And we'll, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about when you use each type of light, but that's when it unlocked for me was HDRIs were a way to go out into the world and bake down all the 360 lighting, capture it in this image. And then in, in my world is like, putting all the light in your pocket, carrying it home, and then opening it up in the 3D world and saying, hey, remember that light we captured over there? Do what that light was doing, but do it on my render. And the, the software goes, yeah, dude, I know exactly what to do. I have all this brightness detail. I have all this resolution. Let's go. And holy crap, it worked. And oh, yeah. so those, those two things were the unlock for me for lighting realizing that studio lights are a part of product lighting and you could just light it the same way as in the real world. And the fact that HDRIs exist and are, uh, are a part of this whole, this whole thing. So that was a long way to say that's, that's, that was my introduction to how to be better lighting, how to make better lighting, how to think about lighting in, in 3d. So before we get to a few questions, Chad, 
I wanted to ask you, what was your introduction to lighting in 3D and what was your process in learning all of this stuff? How did you get into this and become a better artist with it? Uh, whew, man, there's a lot to unpack on that one. Um, yeah, well, I, I, was, I went to college uh, for, for film. I went to Columbia College in Chicago and studied film with a, a major in film and a concentration in traditional animation. So I hadn't really even touched a computer in college, but I did, uh, through all my film classes, really liked the process of lighting a shot we were, you know, this is like, I'm going to really date myself because we weren't like even shooting video. We were shooting on Bolex 16 millimeter cameras. So we had to learn, but it was great because it, it forced you to learn uh, proper exposure and lighting and how to set up a shot and three point lighting and all that. And, you know, we were all terrible at it because, you know, it's just things that you don't think about when it comes to lighting and placing lights but you learn how to light talent. And when you learn how to light talent, it starts to click in your head and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, a big light source is gonna give me really big shadows and a, a really small light source is gonna give me really tight shadows. And it starts to click in your head. And then when I um, took, when I got into 3D, which is a couple years, like a, a year after I graduated, um, I, I was actually doing more animation, like character animation at the beginning. And then I discovered, I actually didn't even know that uh, 3D rendering even existed really because the studio that hired me to do animation was, I was just an animator. It was like one of those CG studios that really heavily segments everybody into different areas. So I was in charge of character animation. I would pass my scene file off and somebody else would light it. And when I would see it come back, I would be like, wow, like how did that work? Like how did you make that? And the guy, um, I think his name was Dave Allen, uh, would show me uh, how, how it all worked. And this is like way back pre-Maya days. And I was just really like super intrigued by it, but also kind of like grossed out by it because it didn't look real. It looked very CG, but I saw the potential there. And the idea that I could take some of that filmmaking knowledge and bring it into 3D was really exciting for me. So I started to get into it a little bit more, a little bit more. And then eventually um, I started to, uh, you know, discover other renderers like Mental Ray in Brazil and uh, V-Ray and 3ds Max and Maya. And like it, the quality would get better and the tools would get more photographic and then I would just get more excited. And then um, around the time when I got to DK, I started doing live action direction again um, where I was directing a lot of live action spots. So I was back on set capturing HDRIs and directing the spot. And watching and, and, and working with a DP who's like crafting the light on set and seeing what tricks they do to make the beard bottle shine and all these like neat little things that I just like absorbed and took a lot of these gaffer tricks and uh, DP tricks into 3D. And as the tools got better and better, it just became way more easy. And I think, yeah, you know, it's like lighting in 3D is like infinitely easier than lighting a set. <laughs> <laughs> it's like where nobody is like having to lift heavy things and flag stuff off for three hours. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of been my journey through it. That's amazing. It, it, it's, um, it, those things and, and, and obviously meeting you and learning from you the way that you thought about lighting. Um, not only, I was just thinking through this, not only inspired like it pro, which was our first plugin, but like I said, immediately after Like It Pro, I discovered a lot more about HDR and how that stuff worked. It inspired our second plugin, which was HDRI Studio Rig. And so HDRI Studio Rig came about because I saw the power of HDR and said, how do we combine um, seamless floor technology that was just becoming easier in Cinema 4D along with HDR and make it so that the dream, it was true, which is what you said, like, Lighting in the real world is like, if it doesn't work, you got to scrap it all and start over, or you have to move a light and then you have to hide stuff and, and change all the time. But what if you could instead just like click different lighting setups until it looked good, for example, and use lighting setups that were built by professionals. And that was the idea behind, um, uh, HDRI studio rig and eventually became, um, uh, HDRI link for uh, third party renders as well. So all of that stuff spawned from the idea that, okay, there is years and years of lighting thought, years of years of lighting uh, theory, 
And more importantly, something you said, Chad, was years of filmmaking knowledge that goes into creating an emotion with lighting. And this is something when you uh, start reading books about, uh, you know, uh, becoming a, like a, a DP or, or working on set, that what you're really trying to do is tell a story or give the emotion of what you're trying to portray to the person that's watching. And most of that is done with lighting, right? So this was my favorite thing about the Pixar movie behind the scenes and all the stuff happening with like DVDs, you know, and all that stuff was you could actually sit and, and have an audio track with somebody that just worked on the lighting and they would describe to you why they chose a sunset shot for this scene because the sunset shot gave an emotion of things ending, you know, it's a little romantic, but it's like a sad romantic, mm -hmm. um, versus why did we front light this one? Well, a front light is a much more, uh, engaging and less dynamic, but very, um, focused on, uh, kind of everything type of light. And as you start to learn these things, you say, okay, now I know where all this stuff goes, or at least this is how I learned it. Now I understand all these, these emotions that you can trigger with light. Now, how do you mix and match them? Well, with this one, you actually need a sunlight, but with a little bit of a kick light to fill in things. Um, all of that stuff tied into um, my renders getting better as well. All of that stuff tied into me looking at a scene and saying, what emotion do I want my viewer to have? And if you work in motion design, you work in 3D, that's really a lot of your job is what emotion do I want them to have when they look at this object or render? Is it interest? Is it, um, I want to buy that. I want to own it. Is it something to read and I have to make it readable? There's so many things that come into what is the, uh, emotions. Factors. Yeah. Emotion slash action. You want the viewer to have when you look at it. And this happens even with a daily render. What are you trying to say with this image? And your lighting has a lot to do with that. So that was a big unlock for me learning that stuff. And thank you, Chad, for sharing that. That reminds um, me, do you remember pre dome light days when uh, people would build rigs where you would load in uh, an HDRI image and a rig would build an array of spotlights in a, in a dome. And what it would do, it was, a, it would take the image and like essentially put a number of spotlights in this dome and wherever the spotlight landed on the image, like imagine an image wrapped on a sphere and a bunch of, a bunch of spotlights pointed towards the center. It would take the color information of the pixel that it was near and just shine a bunch of, of uh, spotlights on the center. Do you remember those? I do. I, I built, that was, I think a part of either the first or like 1.2 of like it pro had a dome light that took this is before HDRI studio rig took an HDR and did exactly that because yeah. global illumination was so costly. Now we're just now we're just uh, <laughs> how old we are. Global global illumination was so expensive as a uh, computational uh, switch to flip that you couldn't bear it. You could not animate uh, with global illumination. So that so the dome actually kind of cheated your way around that and yeah. gave you bounce light with with like point lights essentially i remember that oh my god I, I hated those things all right we'll do that at the end of the show we'll we'll talk about how uh how slow the computer computers were <laughs> rachel um, showing up to give props to paul debevic the guy that uh, pretty much invented hdri so yeah that's amazing look him up you, if rachel. you don't know his work he's actually doing some really insane stuff these days so check him out Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for coming. Thank you all for coming. Let's do this. Let's take some questions. Um, and uh, let's, um, so if you have a question, it would help us to see it in the chat here. If you said Q and then, um, or just question and then ask the question, that'll help us kind of find it. But please uh, bring your questions about lighting, about HDRIs, about um how to create an emotion or if you're struggling with lighting or if you have a specific type of scene uh, you're trying to recreate and uh, we'll we'll try to answer it and if we need to we'll even dip into cinema 4d and try to recreate something as well um so i think um i think we'll do that so bring get the questions going um and we'll get started here dean let's just go with dean's first question i think it's a good one to start with 
Dean asks, what do you guys think is missing lighting wise from most renders that you see? So uh, we see a lot of, you know, renders online, Instagram, all that stuff. What's what's missing in, in most people? Is, is most he asking like what we think is missing in the tools or what do we think is missing from other people's renders? I'm I'm thinking that this is like we see work all the time. Um, and what what is a what is it what is the artist missing technically or uh, or just uh, something they need to learn to make their lighting better? So uh, when we look at a render and we say, well, if I were to do it, what I would do is think of it this way and light this way. I think that's what he's asking. What's missing from most lights? And um, like, I'll, I'll let you go first. I, I think I got mine. Okay. Um, let's see. What do I think is missing lighting wise from most renders that you see? I think that most people, and I, I think I, I would put myself into this as well, um, are probably using too many really diffuse light sources because um, it's easy to just grab an area light or an HDRI or something that has like a very big, broad light source. And I think we've just like become afraid of hard shadows. And I think hard shadows are cool. I think hard shadows, there's a use, there's a, there's a time for hard shadows. And I think that um, I, I do see some work showing up uh, where they're not afraid to do that. Um, and, and I think that's great because honestly, like when area lights became sort of like um, widely used, you didn't see any hard shadows anywhere ever. <laughs> so I'm, I'm welcoming a, a little bit more of that. Uh, I'll also say that I think a lot of them um, are kind of missing the point. And, and what I mean by that is that um, they don't have a point of view and, and lighting should have a point of view. Lighting should have uh, be a part of the scene, be a part of the story um, and and really help tell tell the story that you're trying to tell. If you're trying to sell a product, then there's a whole other set of rules that go with that. If you're just trying to create um, maybe uh, an abstract piece, then okay, well, how does lighting contribute to that? So I think um, in a broad sense, I, I think some lighting and it's usually all the stuff that everybody like shares because it's amazing because it has a point of view. It has it has something to say. And I think that's important. Yeah. Um, I'll just add uh, two things that I see um, is I think, especially for artists that uh, model or are, are more about creating the geometry of the scene. I think that a lot of artists get too precious about showing every polygon and wanting to show off their model versus trying to tell a story. So, um, in other words, I know you spent a lot of time making sure that the ankle of the robot is, has this cool little thing on it. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, if the robot or the character looks more, uh, tells a story better, if it's in silhouette, then you may have to do that with your lighting and, and put 90% of the details that you just worked on in silhouette to make it look more uh menacing for example or more mysterious so to me it's not being precious about the object and all the work that you put into the thing but you you should do that and, and spend time on that but when it comes to lighting you have to divorce yourself from the object and really think of it as a tool to say this actually looks better with a rim really strong rim light and a really subtle kicker just to like light up the eyeballs um so that that would be one that i would would suggest yeah i think and, less like, is more you know yeah. like so the one thing that that i've learned is that um often what you don't show is more important than what you show because what you don't show the viewer draws in the blanks so your your instinct might be to light um a, a character a product or an object or something fully like nick was saying like your instinct is like let me show every nook and cranny and everything that i worked on but if you just let some of it fall into shadow or maybe most of it to fall into shadow and just a shaft of light cutting across the center well now the viewer is left to use their imagination and wonder what's under that in that shadow and oftentimes what they're thinking is going to be cooler than what you can put on the screen <laughs> so that mystery and letting them engage and letting them like to me when 
when I see a when I see a a, a great um, design or an art piece or a render or a movie, it's usually it's usually making me come up with some of that uh, creative information. Like I'm wondering what they're thinking, or I'm wondering what's in that corner under that shadow or around the the bend, and it's that. Um, uh, you're investing in it, you know, you're creatively investing in it as a viewer. And I think lighting has that power. Lighting, if done correctly, can really get somebody to invest in it and pull their eye to a spe specific part of the frame and all that fun stuff. Uh, Chad, just, I have one more thing to say about I this. I love this topic, by the way. This I is just the best topic. This is it. This is every show from now on. We're talking about lighting. I love it, obviously. Um, and while I'm saying my last thing about, uh, Dean's question. Can you pull up an example, Chad? Can you go find like a nice product render, whether it's 3D or um, like a product uh, photo shoot or something that shows that, that more of a silhouette, that more of a side light, that mm. contrast so that we could just pull it up and maybe even talk about exactly how those lights would be set up in the real world. So we could give a good example. If you could find something like that, I think that'd be really helpful. Um, and we could do a quick screen share. But I'll just yeah, say one more me, thing. Let me find it. I'll just say one more thing, Dean, and, and for anybody trying to take what they look at as basic lighting or flat lighting, I think it was described too, you know, where it's just like, okay, there's light there, but what is it doing? Um, what I would what I would do is two two things as an experiment. One is pull up one softbox. Um, whether it's a light kit pro or it's just an area light from octane or, or any third party render, they all have pretty good, just basic area lights. Now open it up, get your render fired up, get a nice model that you are comfortable with and put it in different positions around your, uh, model and see what it feels like to you. Um, what does it look like when it's just and and at a large scale too? So you don't don't make it too small. Make it pretty large, and put put it directly behind your model and let the light wrap around and go over the shoulders or or if it's even if it's just a sphere, like let it roll over the top and see what that feels like. It should feel you should have some sort of emotion. It backlighting feels more epic and feels more mysterious and feels more superhero, right? Then put it on the left side, directly on the left, or maybe just back into the left and say, okay, now I'm getting a little bit more shape and I'm seeing more of the shape of the object. It's not as mysterious. It's more, you know, romantic from the backlight. Chad, you actually got a nice romantic backlight going on on your face right now. So if you look at Chad's Ooh. face, he's got a window. Uh, I, and I think I, 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 don't, I haven't been in this room, but I'm guessing there's a window back. Uh, if I'm looking at it back into the left, in the back corner. So what that window is doing is casting this rim light around the side of Chad's face. It's giving it some nice uh, detail and you can see his hoodie. It's obviously a black hoodie, but it's falling into shadow. His shirt is a little dark and shadowy, but this is actually a good setup for emulating a good basic light. So just to finish my, finish my talk about one softbox, put one softbox in different places for your object and maybe even do a quick render and compare them and see what those emotions are. And next time you have a, um, a render, you can actually open this up and say, what feeling am I going for? And then you could start there. That's just one light. We haven't I've talked got about some samples now. We haven't talked about multiple lights and I think it'll be easier to show when we dive into cinema 4d in a bit, or it sounds like Chad has some examples as well. So, uh, Dean, it's a very common problem. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to learn with lighting um and it's a never ending journey <laughs> you always are learning more about what lighting works it's never there's never a perfect answer so that's what's fun about all this stuff um and that's uh, partly what's fun about using hdris as well so um right before we cut to chad's screen here part of the journey of hdri for me was first of all realizing that you can go to a outdoor sunset thing and get a beautiful you know sunset and then bring it into 3d uh, but then i saw that you can actually create studio lighting 
and not have to go set it up physically with um, you know soft boxes and all that stuff, but actually capture the whole studio. And not just the lights, but the little details in the in the craft services corner and the ceiling with the with the uh, exposed, um, uh, uh, you know, air conditioning and stuff. All those little details would show up in the HDR and would be captured and thrown onto these objects. And that's when I started to study HDRIs that I liked. So then, what I would do is literally click through different HDRIs, find one that I liked. Ain't, Wrote, rotated it until my object looked good and then studied where the lights were. Wow, the cool. There's like a big soft box in the back here. And then there's a little bright point light just on the on the opposite corner. And then there's this nice overhead light with a little bit of blue tint to it. And I'm like, I like this look. This feels right. I bookmark that HDR and I would um also study that emotion because then I could recreate it with actual soft boxes if I needed to. Even in the real world, I could bring that data into the real world and like, yeah, there's um, kind of a, a question around what we're talking about here from uh, Fernanda. So uh, could you comment on how to illuminate large scenes without dying in the attempt? So what I'm getting from that question is when it comes to uh, not, like we're, we're talking a lot about one product or one thing in the in the center of a scene. And maybe that's kind of what you were saying there, Chad, which was the natural light. When you when it comes to lighting large scenes and a lot of stuff going on, I almost always just go to an HDR. That's that's the solution. When there's a lot of things that need lit, rather than throw up 50 different lights, try to get it all perfect, that's where an HDR really shines to me is, is large scenes, especially if the camera's moving a lot. That's where this infinite dome 360 with maybe a couple practical lights scattered around can do a lot of that heavy lifting how do you approach larger scenes like that honestly i kind of like um it, it depends on what you're doing it depends on the time of day is it a large indoor scene is it a large outdoor scene um i mean obviously if it's a large outdoor scene then your main light source is probably the sun and a bunch of little areas and lights that you might use to kick uh, things off or rim things or fill. Um, and you're just kind of playing around with a uh, time of day because obviously, you know, we, we have the luxury of being able to control that. Um, so a lot of times if you're, if you're, it's a big outdoor scene, you're starting with daylight of some kind. If it's a night shot and there isn't any daylight and it's a bunch of incandescent all around, then you're going to craft the light to, I, I tend to go like try to stay as natural as possible, like put the light sources where they would be naturally. Like if it's a outdoor scene of uh, a city, then obviously um, street lights and buildings and all that sort of thing would need to be set up. Uh, if you're talking about like uh, a large shot that's maybe at night, not in a city scene, then it's majority of it's going to be coming from moonlight and maybe, um, you know, incandescent lights that are in the scene, like campfires or flashlights or whatever. But just try to keep it as natural as possible. And I try not to, I try to only put light where they would be um, in in real life. Uh, I think that that's not always easy to do. Um, and it doesn't always work, but it's a good place to start. And if you're doing like architectural um, visualization, then that's a really easy thing to kind of take a look at that and be like, okay, well, this room, this kitchen, living room, whatever, um, I'm going to start with the outside because most light in a house is coming from the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just like, where's the sun look the best when it shines on the floor? Is it when it's in the, at, you know, in the dusk, when it hits the wall? And then from there, kind of craft it, reverse engineer it from there. But I mean, it's just such a, it, there really isn't like a blanket answer I can give. It's just about dissecting the situation. Chad, you got that low res thing going on again. I'm going to try my trick. Let me know in the comments if this helps. If Chad's super low res, I'm gonna click on the wide. I'm looking hit, at the uh, YouTube and it looks fine. And then and then I zoom in. Did that change for anybody? Or is it just on my stream? It, it'd be nice to know that. Uh, thank you, Chad, for that. Um, I, I, the the you were mentioning, you know, thinking about how things are in real life, and I think for a lot of things that's true. I think for the most part that that is a good way always to think about the scale of lights versus, you know, cause you're, you're divorced from 
real life when you're in 3D. You can make things as big or as small as you want in just like a mouse move. But one of the things I've always loved about most Pixar movies is they put a camera where a camera would go at a scale of the the uh, thing that they're trying to yes. shoot. Yes, scale. So scale is all is like everything. So it's very rare at a Pixar movie, and this is like the opposite of a DreamWorks movie, for example, or early DreamWorks movies, I should say. I think I think there's a lot of different ways to approach this, but uh, a crane shot, you know, a crane only goes like 20, 30, 40 feet, maybe. Um, a dolly shot ha- is about the size of a of a human, right? You're about six feet, five, six, seven feet uh, of a shot. So think about not only where your cameras are, where your lights are, where your object is, and try to scale roughly those things in the same scale, and you will act, you will start to see a drastic difference in realism. And you won't even know what, what is happening, but your brain has, not only your brain, your 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old eyeballs have seen light in the real world for so long. Your lizard you, brain. Your lizard brain is now comparing uh, not only your dozens of years on the earth, but years and years of evolution of, of, of humans looking at things and understanding how things exist in the world. And anytime you, you fight that in 3D, you're going to have a problem. Now, you could do it stylistically. And in the DreamWorks example, you could fly through a bunch of you know bumblebees with a camera, and that is a thing to do in 3D. But it will not feel real because we don't have the technology to fly through a bunch of bumblebees with a camera and actually see each one and they're having conversations, let alone not even talking bumblebees. That's not the issue. Contrast that with Toy Story, which is also not realistic, a bunch of toys talking, but they keep a camera the scale of where cameras go. They bring it down to the floor but they're not flying through the toy box, right? These are static camera shots. These are dollies. These are pans. These are maybe an establishing shot from the corner of the room, but that's it. Like they, they use scale with their, and I know we're going off into cameras, which is also important. (laughs) It's a whole other uh, show. We'll say that. That'll be another show, but it, it is a reminder that scale matters. Oh my God. It matters so much. I don't think people realize how much it matters. Uh, Alex, but it, it does. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt there, Chad. So thank you, Alex, um, uh, for letting me know that was just on my end. That's amazing. Hey, Paul. Good to see you, Paul. Paul Bad's here. Hey, Paul. Good to see you, man. Hope you're doing well. Loved your uh, music video, by the way. I still think about you, bud. Um, that was awesome. All right. Uh, let's get some more questions. And then uh, I think what we'll do at the end of this stream, so we're going on 45 minutes, let's do a couple more questions, Chad. And if you're down for it, maybe we can go into your uh, Cinema 4D and try to recreate something that uh, is on our mind or something we've talked about and talk about a little bit about scale, a little bit about HDRI and uh, kind of show, show off um, what we're talking about. Yeah, I could. I was thinking I might show a trick um, that I learned on set for lighting, uh, and use some HDRIs, some area lights, maybe some uh, area light maps. Awesome. Um, yeah, Richard's making a good point about textures. Um, scale is everything. When it when when you add a texture to a scene and it's like that doesn't look right, it's really often it's a sense of scale that's off. So if you put a brick on, obviously that's an obvious one. We all roughly know the size of a brick, right? We've all been around brick buildings. We know that they're about this big. So when you want to put that texture next to something and you want it to feel right, obviously that has to scale. That also matters with cameras. It matters with lights. It matters with all that. Uh, Let's see a question here. This question, I think I, I think I understand it. Steve is asking, loves to see large scale sci-fi renders, especially the work of Paul. I don't know that name. Do you know that name? Shandison. They always seem very bright. Do you think these use one very large, very intense light? We may need an example, Steve, for that one. I don't know if I know that one. Let me Google. I'll, while you take the next question, I'll Google that person. All right. John, John brings up a good point. De- depth of field is also something that is all about scale. And so, you know, the, not only does 
not only should scale matter, right? So think about how the real world exists and where the camera would be in the real world, where how big the textures would be, how where the lights would be positioned. But I wanted to add one more wrinkle to this, which is when when you think about how the real world would do lighting, I think that gets you about 80, 90% of the way there, especially if what you're trying to sh shoot looks like just like a natural feeling uh, render like Chad had, where it's like on a tabletop. So you get those renders. It's really easy to, to pick a beautiful HDR, beautiful materials, scale them properly, aim a camera at it, and it looks nice. Where it gets tricky is when you're trying to be cinematic. When you're trying to be cinematic and more dynamic and more contrasty and more uh, epic, then you, you, you should not think like the real world. You should think like a DP. You should think like you're on set. And that's where reading books about lighting, that's where studying, uh, you know, Pixar lighting or your favorite movie, how they light things, or even Chad said, the tricks of the gaffers, the tricks of how to make a campfire look light, look real on a TV show without smoke blowing all over the place. So they don't have real campfires when they're shooting a fire. They have tricks that probably make it a little bit brighter than a real campfire. Think about a cheesy example on a sitcom when they turn the lights off and go to bed. This bright blue light shines in from the outside that kind of fakes a moon. But it's way brighter than the moon will ever be. And that's because they need the light to, to, to make it look, uh, you know, to expose the film, right? But these are the lang this is the language of film that we've seen for hundreds of years, well, for over 100 years now. The language of film has evolved into a, another way to tell stories that is different from the real world. So uh, it, again, it depends on what, uh, what you're trying to say. If you're trying to uh, say, wow, that looks really real, you want to respect the, the, how the real world exists. If you want right. that render to be, holy crap, that looks so amazing or epic or, or like dramatic or I want to buy that, you may want to lean in a little bit heavier into the tricks of the trade. That's not just setting up real lighting. It's it's faking and tweaking and setting up the softbox just right so the angle goes just across the edge of the iPhone, it gives that nice little wrinkle. That's the stuff you need to study to create better and better looking lighting. Thank you guys for uh, the questions and for um, uh, uh, you know, sh sharing some of your thoughts on, on lighting. And we want to hear too, what you guys want to learn. Um, uh, we're going to do more of these live shows and, uh, just talk about our process, uh, how we go about making renders, um, and also show you some of the tools we've created, uh, to help speed all this up. So everything, uh, including all the HDRIs, the materials that Chad's setting up for the floor, uh, all the plugins, uh, including HDRI, uh, link. Um, and all of our stuff now is, is all included in Grayscale Gorilla Plus. So we uh, actually just added all of the HDRIs and HDRI Link, HDRI Studio Rig, uh, and a couple other plugins as well to uh, Plus um, this week. So if you're a member, you have access to all of this stuff right now. You can start using it, including all those softbox profiles and everything. And if you're not a member, go check it out. We created it just for you guys that do this work for a living. Um, so if you want to, uh, get instant access to everything here. Go check it out at grayscalegorilla.com uh, and let us know about future shows of what else you guys want to learn. Um, these are the fundamentals, uh, lighting, camera, materials, um, composition, which is another topic we didn't quite talk about, but composition, scale, uh, environment, um, emotion, product shots, all these things um, are things that many of us just do uh, you know, for, for clients, for a living. And um, we love hearing the questions you guys have because we want to help and we want to um, bring some of that knowledge that we've you know, struggled with over the years and learn, learn how to make better and, and try to bring it to you guys. So the questions from you guys help so much. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to have a few extra minutes here once we go back to our faces of like a quick lightning round. If you guys have some um, quick questions here at the end, anything else about lighting, 
uh, or even show topics uh, for future live shows. I would love to hear some of your topics, what you got. I appreciate it. All right. Let's see here. Um, Steve, I appreciate it. Thank you. Ditto. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. We got some ideas here. It looks great, Kellen. Thank you. Dean said uh, nailing scale when it comes to 3D. Scale is everything. Cheers from Chi-Town. Cheers, Chicago. I saw my buddy Jack here, if he's still here. Hi, Jack. In fact, you are clicking out around the road trip uh, HDRIs, and uh, like five of those, in fact, the one that you ended up using was from a uh, trade show, a pinball tournament show that Jack and I and my buddies go to every year. It is a giant uh, Pittsburgh place with beautiful big windows out facing the river. And I shot a few of those HDRIs right there. <laughs> That's so, awesome. I've seen, I think Dave Kiss well. is in one of these too. I, I caught him in the background of uh, one of them. Dave's definitely in a few. I think Jack's in a few. Uh, also, um, Dave Kiss's kitchen is one of those oh. warehousey looking ones as well. Um, question let's see here quality looks good to me windy thank you so much i appreciate that thanks for the feedback solid res resolution ryan says appreciate it jack <laughs> miss you buddy hope you're doing well um uh we're, we're talking jack into into back into doing 3d oh, we're gonna nice. get we're gonna get you back buddy um uh let's see here uh, do I still shoot H drives with a theta? No, all of those road trip, uh, uh, that road trip collection that's included, uh, in, in the library and in plus and everything, all of those are created with the theta. And, but now all of our H drives are created in many different ways, uh, and much higher quality, by the way, uh, the theta is pretty good, uh, when it comes to lighting, but it's hard to use as a backdrop because the resolution isn't quite there. Um, a lot of the new modern uh, HDRIs that are included in Plus are uh, higher res. There are also a lot of studio stuff that's created in 3D in other ways, or even our skies, which are higher res. Um, so it's all over the place I now. still like the low res ones, though. I got to be love, honest. I love those road trip ones. I know, because you know, there's just something about, like, I'm not using them for backdrops, like, ever. Right. So for me, it's just about interesting reflections and interesting light sources and the theta. I, I got to check out the new theta. It's been a while. I think I saw my old theta somewhere over here, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, that was an older one for me. I mean, those those were shot five years ago, maybe, but they hold up. Like you just you finish that render with with those. So I love those road trip ones. It, um, maybe we should have gone through more of what each category is there, why we oh, created yeah. it, but we could do that in another show. Um, I would suggest you guys um, go check it out. It, they're actually all available on our website to see all the differences. We have studi different studio uh, HDRIs, uh, skies, um, the European collection, the European, uh, uh, what, what, what did we end up calling that one? I'm forgetting now. Uh, uh, European the, holiday. European holiday uh, has a few of my favorites, including the church entrance, which is probably one of my faves. Um, they all have Modern their place. industrials also super rad. Yeah, they all have their place. And until uh, recently, you had to buy them all separately uh, for each specific job you had. And and maybe you needed skies, so you had to come get the skies. Now, uh, if you're a plus member, you just get them all. And so we wanted the ability for you guys to say, like, maybe it's a sky one and click it and go, nah, it's more of a industrial one, just like Chad went through. No, nah, it's more of a metals indoor studio one. No, nah, it's more of an office. That's honestly how I um, find a lot of my favorite HDRIs is just experimentation, just like Chad went through there. Um, so go check it out. Uh, just add it all to plus Brazil's here. That's amazing. Um, Otto, thank you for this. Um, I think the the format worked out for this one. I I like these deep deeper dives into one um, topic the way that this one turned out today. So look for more of those. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, do us a favor and hit the the thummy thing because the thumb thing tells YouTube that this is uh, a good video and shows it to other people. Um, and if you want, uh, what do they call it? Notifications. When we're going live, uh, we, we uh, try to pre-schedule these and we tell YouTube when we're going live. And in turn, YouTube will tell you when we're going live if you click the bell the notifications i feel like everyone says hit the bell but they don't tell you what the bell does the bell 
lets you know when we're going live. It lets you know when we have new videos out. And for any of you who are watching that demo and uh, saw Chad use Redshift, and, and I saw a few questions come by that said, how does this work in Octane? Um, or if you're using Arnold or even physical renders, we just released four separate videos on that workflow and how to use LightKit, uh, or I'm sorry, how to use HDRI Link and HDRI Studio Rig with all those HDRs and how to set it up for your renderer. Those are the latest videos out in um, on Grayscale Gorilla if you go to our main page. So uh, thank you guys so much. Um, I appreciate it. Sean uh, has a quick question here. Do we need to have HDRI Link installed to use the HDRIs? Uh, you don't. Um, but if you're a Plus member, you have access to all of it. So you could just inc uh, install HDRI Link or HDRI Studio Rig. But if you have any of our packs separately and you just want to use them separately, that works as well. Um, but HDRI Link, we created to make it so that you could literally click on those squares at the bottom and it instantly loads into your scene. So we recommend using those together. Um, all right. Anything else that we see? I think we should wrap up. That's a pretty good show. This was fun. It was good, man. I'm fine. Good. We could do like several series in lighting, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. The The lighting videos are are um, are not over. Sean says he's um, he's a Plus member. So, Sean, thank you. You have access Thanks, to um, uh, not only all of those HDRIs, but HDRI Link and HDRI Studio Rig if you use physical render as well. So definitely check that out. Um, if you're interested in Plus, uh, go check it out. We just added a bunch of new stuff. And if you're a Plus member, thank you guys. Uh, we created it just for you guys to work faster, light faster, add materials faster, uh, all the stuff, training, plugins, it's all there in, in um, Plus, and we appreciate you guys. Um, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. And uh, again, uh, thank you guys so much for the questions. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being uh, Plus members. Chad, thank you for- Thank you. Not only teaching me what the hell an HDRI was, uh, uh, what it what, what would it be now? Fourteen years. Let's not date anything. Don't put a date on that. Let's not date anything. Thank you, Chad, for bringing the world, the amazing world of of three D lighting, into my heart and into my soul, and now into all of theirs. I uh, appreciate you, and uh, stay tuned for another live show. Uh, hopefully next week, if not the week after. So hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Until then, thank you guys so much, and we will see you in another Grayscale Gorilla video real soon. Bye, everybody. everybody. Happy Wednesday. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today for the podcast. If you could do us a favor and leave a comment. We read every comment over on iTunes and all the podcast subscribers. So please leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about the show. And also, if you have future subjects that you want us to cover on future live shows, we love to hear from you either on the podcast comments or over on YouTube, let us know. We look at every comment and we really appreciate it. All right, we will see you guys in another episode really soon. And until then, happy rendering, everybody. Bye-bye.